Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. We are moving through the book of Genesis. I want to thank my brother Koba for stepping in for me last week. Um, at the very last hour, my wife had to go to the hospital, Sister Bumi, and she had a ruptured... Um, ovarian cyst and it was excruciatingly painful and so we were there at the hospital I was trying in my mind to get everything together and get the kids where they needed to be and I just had to stop and say grandma's mama mo mama pipa my mom and boomy's mom had to call in the reinforcements let them take over so I could go and be with booms I'm glad I was Glad Koba was able to be here for me and have a great Bible study uh, last Wednesday. <clears throat> but um, thankfully, Bumi is better. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And uh, she's doing a lot better. And, um, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. We're in Genesis chapter 2, and, and it just so happens that we're going to be focusing on this relationship that God established between man and wife. Man and wife. And that God made, okay, man and woman in his own image. Right? In the image of God. And in this conversation, as I was studying, um, I, like to, I like to study the Hebrew uh, language a little bit. Um, just the, the, the little that I know about it. And I was studying through the Westminster Leningrad Codex, which is, it's the oldest Hebrew text that is complete from Genesis through Malachi, which is called the Hebrew Bible. And it dates somewhere about 1000 CE, okay? And... <clears throat> In my studies of Genesis, I've always loved to break down some of the words and the meaning. And then we who are students of the Bible, it's good to learn, to grow, to be challenged, but then also to apply some of these truths from the Bible to our lives. And so I pray that today we can do some, some good study of the Bible. We can ask some questions of the text. And then we could say, what does that mean for us today? Maybe... Um, what does it mean for me? Maybe what does it mean for the church? And larger than that, what does it mean for the world? Okay. What does it mean for theology or the way that we should be looking at and seeing the issues that we face in today's day? All right. Because our answers that we're looking for um, should be found in the Bible. Okay. The answers to the questions that we have in the world should be found right here in the word of God. And we, that's why we go to the Word of God, so that we can, we can understand what God has to say about them. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 says, So the Lord God okay, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Okay, stop there for a moment. Okay, um, one of the things that, we see here in verse 21 is that 
there's this usage and reference to God as the Lord God. So it's Yahweh Elohim, all right, which, you know, for those of us who um, may not completely understand the full meaning of both Yahweh and Elohim, we both know or um, see them as meaning God, right? Yahweh, Jehovah, Yahweh is the same as Jehovah, right? And, and the word Elohim. Now, in the book of Genesis, here in the beginning, in the, the, the creation account here in the beginning, the, those two words, Yahweh and Elohim, show up together a lot. And what it means is the Lord God, okay? The Lord God. But what is the difference between the Lord and God, all right? Um, we need to ask that question of the text, right? And so I want to bring some, some understanding and maybe shed some light on these two words, Lord God. Everybody say, Lord God. Lord God. How many of you have ever said, Lord God? Raise your hand if you've ever said, Lord God, those two words together. Oh, Lord God, right? Or we sing songs. Um, oh, Lord, our God, right? And so this idea of referring to God as Lord God has a very distinct meaning because other religions of the world are not referring to our God as the Lord God. There are different ways to refer to God, right? Um, the Muslims refer to God as what? Allah. And, but the Hebrews re referred to God as what? Yahweh. Jehovah. And for the Hebrews, the word or the name of God is so sacred that when they are reading the Hebrew Bible, they don't even say Yahweh or Jehovah. They pause. There's a, there's a silent pause. So it would, it would read like this. So the caused the man to fall into a deep sleep because there's such a high reverence that the Jews or the Hebrews have towards God that they don't even like to say the name of God. Now, we as Christians, we don't necessarily um, fall under that as, as such a, a stringent or a strict um, guideline when it comes to um, our reference or our calling upon the Lord God, right? We, we don't necessarily see it that way, although we do revere God, although we do have such a fear of the Lord in our own hearts and in our own lives that should be demonstrated more so in our actions in the way we love God and the way we love one another, more so than our religious behavior when it comes to how we handle properly the scripture or the word of God. Does that make sense? It's just like when they talked about the religious fasts. They said um, it is almost um, hypocritical to fast or commit a time of prayer and fasting to God as a demonstration of love or worship to him if you're just going to leave that place at that moment and then go and then treat your neighbor poorly. Right. Or oppress somebody and treat them unfairly. Right. Or go and, you know, do something to somebody, or call somebody out of their name. Right. 
or call a people group by a, a derogatory racial slur, right? God's like, you want to go ahead and act like that and treat people like that. Keep your tithes, keep your prayers, keep your, your empty fasts to yourself because they mean nothing to me. Does that make sense? And so we as believers are following the New Testament teachings that Jesus came, which he says, hey, it's great to have all these religious things in place, but the most important is how we love and how we live. Amen? So the word Yahweh is the proper name of the God of Israel. Okay? Yahweh or Jehovah is the name for God. And the way to revere God is by calling him Lord. Right? It's almost another way of calling him Master. Are you tracking with me, church? So Yahweh, okay, or Jehovah in Hebrew are four Hebrew consonants, part of the, the Hebrew Aleph Bet, okay? It's Yod, He, Vav, He, or Yod, Wow, um, Yod, He, Wow, He. There's different ways to say the Hebrew consonants. And there's a four-letter consonant. It's called the tetragrammaton. Tetra meaning four, and gramma referring to letters. So it's a four-letter Hebrew consonant, tetragrammaton, that when you refer to Yahweh or Jehovah. When you break down the word, you'll see how it works, okay? Um, <clears throat> in Hebrew, there are really no, con no, no vowels. There are only consonants. And in the Hebrew language, the Bible is read, okay, Instead of from front, this is our front, right? From left to right. The Hebrew Bible is, is the opposite. You, read, you open it from the right, okay? Um, what is it? Right uh, bookend. And then you read from right to left. And that's how Hebrew is read. It's very confusing in the beginning. But after a while, you kind of get used to it. So when Moses who was writing Genesis, is speaking um, in reference to God. Here in the cre creation account, he refers to him often as the Lord God. Yahweh Elohim. Now let's talk about Elohim. Elohim is also a word that is used for God. But it is less religious in the Hebrew context or Christian context and the word Elohim is a word that is used to depict or define or to give meaning to the Almighty. It's the, the most powerful one, the Almighty one, God. It could be used in a general sense as the ruler or the, the one who has all power. That is Elohim. Everybody say Elohim. Elohim. And Elohim is actually a plural form of the word God. Whenever a Hebrew word ends in mem or the M sound, all right, mem is like M for us in English. Whenever it ends in uh, mem, all right, that refers to a plural. So the word Elohim is referring to this idea not of many gods, but this idea of Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Are you tracking with me thus far? Have I lost you? 
I hope you're following me. Okay, as you know, words mean a lot to me. Whenever I teach, you probably start to see my teaching is sometimes very different than others and the way they teach. And, and praise the Lord, we all have different expressions, right, and how we do things. And I really like to get to the meaning and significance of words because words matter. Letters matter. Punctuations matter. Numbers matter. Right? Grammar matters. Right? And I don't have a, an example with me, but there are some examples in the Bible where a comma was placed in the wrong place, and it gives a completely different meaning to the actual verse in the Bible. I wish I had one handy, but that thought just came to me as we're talking and discussing it. So let's go on. So we're talking about Jehovah, the, the God of the Hebrews, the God of of Isaac, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Hebrews is Jehovah, is Yahweh, right? And so we see the Lord God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all right? So whenever you call upon the Lord God, even the word Adonai can mean Lord, okay? Adonai is a Hebrew word as well that means Lord but in this particular setting, it's Jehovah, which, which is the most revered, the highest name, the highest respect, the highest reference to anyone or anything in the world is Yahweh or Jehovah. Okay, so the Lord God, the Yahweh Elohim, caused, okay, caused. Man, the word caused comes from the Hebrew word nafal. And nafal means to make or to cause or to impose or to force, right? It got the, the Lord God caused. In other words, uh, the Lord God took Adam and put him to sleep, okay? So he imposed, God intervened here on earth. There's theology that will try to communicate that God does not intervene with humankind. And he is a God who is, uh, has a hands-off approach when it comes to our proceedings, the history of mankind. There's a theology that would like to say that God does not intervene, but he's just kind of sitting up there, right, um, with, his, with his hands crossed and kind of just looking down, seeing what's going on and watching the movie as it plays itself out. But if you go to Scripture, right, you will see that God does intervene and God does interact. God does change situations and he is involved in the affairs of humankind. Because after all, we are his creation. He didn't just create us and then leave us. He didn't abandon us. God is there. Where is God? He is here. God's in your mind. He's in your heart. He's in your flesh. He is in your being. Because we were made in his image and in his likeness. Amen? So God caused Adam... 
to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. So this is one of the first surgical procedures ever done to mankind. Here's the first doctor. All right. Uh, Thankfully, God wasn't practicing on this one. It says that he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. You guys want to have some fun with this verse? All right. So it is a common misconception that men have one less rib than the woman. How many of you have ever heard that? Uh, Right. But it's not the case. We have the same amount of ribs as women. But if Adam's bones were somehow turned up, according to the scripture, he would be one less, uh, he would be, have one uh, less rib than Eve. Because God, according to Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, took one of his ribs and the Bible says right here, made a woman from the rib, verse 22, he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man, right? And um, I, I love the thought that there's a reason why God took a rib out of the man because a rib is at a man's side and it speaks to the Equality between men and women. I like that thought. Man, God didn't take a, a bone from man's foot to make the woman so that he would be, he would be above her. Right? Um, and, and so on and so forth. But from his side. God from his side and he created woman. Woman out of, out of man. It's interesting to note that the, there's a difference between what God creates and what God makes. There's a distinction, distinction actually in these two words, right? In the word um, create, all right? Let's, let's look at that um, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. What does it say right there in verse 1? Everybody read it together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. God what? Created. All right? God created. All right? And when God created, it was when God spoke. So there's a correlation between God's creation and when he spoke. Because God's creative power and the source of all creation comes from the very word, the very logos of God. The very word that God spoke creates. Okay? And so God created the heavens and the earth and spoke these things into existence. So there's this connection between God speaking, creative power, all right, and God creating, all right, or inventing, or making something from what? Nothing. Nothing. So what should that tell us about the words that we speak? They matter. Your words matter. Lately, I'm, I'm telling on myself, I have realized that unbeknownst to me and 
somewhere in my subconscious, I've been speaking very negatively in certain settings, certain areas of my life, even in my own thoughts, my own minds, over situations, things that have frustrated me, things that, that I wish I could change and I want to grab with my hands and control them. And I've been thinking and, and speaking negatively. And the Lord had to correct me and caused me to stop and say, Josh, you have to be more careful with the words that you are choosing to use. Subconsciously, you are speaking words and they're taking on flesh. Our words take on flesh because our words create. Our words have creative power. Our words have creative property just like God. If you want something good to happen, speak it into existence, you guys, and watch God begin to work in your life. In the same way, if we speak negatively, then guess what? We begin to create negatively. And then we create negativity. But if we're believers, if we are people of faith, then we have to take faith we have to live by faith. We have to speak with faith. We have to speak by faith over every situation. Over your children, speak faith. Just like God spoke over Gideon and called him a mighty man of valor, even though at that moment he was not. God saw a man and spoke into a man and breathed life into a man until Gideon began to live and operate and act like the man of God and the man of valor that the Lord saw him to be. So in my children's lives, guess what, you guys? I got to speak life over them and say, you're awesome. You're beautiful. You are handsome. You are amazing. You are brilliant. You're fast. You're unbelievable. You jump high. You jump far. You're great at math. You have a way with words. And oh, I love your writing. Even if they're in process, you speak that life while they start believing. Because your words create just like God's. God's words create. There's a creative power. Amen? Amen. And so God created as he spoke. And if we want to go back to the, the creative power of, over Adam and Eve, all right, just go to Genesis 1.26. Who wants to read verse 26? Go ahead and say it out loud. The first one to read, go. Chapter 1, chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 26. There it is. And look at it says in, in the, uh, at the beginning of verse 26. Then God said, right? He spoke the Hebrew word. For speak is dabar, dabar, right? 
Um, to, if you want to tell somebody to stop speaking, just say, Lo daber. Which means stop, stop talking. Because uh, the word lo means no or don't. But dabar means to talk or to speak. So here in verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our own image. Okay? So it was at that moment that God spoke life over Adam and Eve. He spoke them into existence. And he was um, more uh, thoughtful in how he created um, first Adam from the, the clay of the earth and then Eve from the rib or the side of the man. Isn't that beautiful? Right. Okay, so let us look at this idea of God taking a rib from Adam, okay? The Hebrew word is lachach, lachach, which means to take. So God surgically opened him up took it out and closed the wound back up right there and then, just like that. He took the rib and boom. That's the creation account, okay? And when it says that God made a woman from the rib, it is the Hebrew word bana. And the Hebrew word bana means to build. So God took the rib and he built or he started to put together the woman. So it's this different, like we talked about, the difference between made and create. Okay, Creating, having this connection with speaking, all right, and, and causing something to come into being out of nothing. And then this idea of actually making and building and hands-on. That's beautiful. The way God made women. Y'all are special. God took a little extra, extra time on you ladies. Amen? Praise God. So grateful for, for you ladies. Masterpieces? Amen. Amen, sister. Amen. Okay, so let us go now. Let's move over to verse 23 of chapter 2. I promise we'll finish this chapter. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Okay? I think that's pretty self-explanatory. This idea or phrase, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Um, it's the Hebrew phrase, which basically means one in the same. This woman and this man are now one in the same. They're in, they're the, they're, they go together, right? Like peanut butter and jelly. Like cookies and milk, right? Like um, pan dulce and café. Right, you, you can go with all the other metaphors. But they go together. He says, now they are one, one and the same, man and, and woman. Man and woman are one and the same, all right? And this is beautiful. It's very, it waxes poetic here in verse 23, all right? Which is why we refer also to Genesis as a uh, kind of a wonderfully written piece of literature and scripture, 
All right, we find this here in this portion of Scripture. Uh, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, I've, I've been asked when I have officiated some weddings to include this portion right here. This, this is now bone of my bones, and they change it. She is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I've included that in some vows, all right? And we've had some fun with that. And then, of course, in verse 24, the same applies. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Okay? So this idea of marriage is established here, right? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and the, the fact that a man will leave and cleave, right? Leave and cleave. Cleave means to cut in half or to put the two, you know, together, right? To make, make into halves. But to leave and cleave is to leave. A man leaves his mother and father, and then he goes, right, and, and establishes or creates his own family. So that's biblical. It's biblical for parents to raise their children but then to be very careful that they don't smother the children. Um, now I, I know what that, that has a, a whole nother meaning for me now because I have a daughter. With my boys, I'm like, yeah, I raised, you know how it is, guys, you know, I raised our boys to, you know, to conquer and this and that. And, and then you have a daughter and you're like, okay, yeah, to conquer, but. I got to give her away one day if she chooses to be married? That's harder, isn't it? That's a different thing. But there's this togetherness that was, was meant, is at the heart of what God did here between Adam and Eve, is this togetherness in marriage, right? To break from familial interference. A man has to leave to establish his own. I remember when Boomi and I had to have those hard conversations of leaving, even though we were still here in the same zip code as my parents. You know, Abraham left his father's country, his father's people, and his father's land. Well, I, I, I'm right here in my, my father's country, my father's land, and my father's zip code. Many of us are too. Some of us have left. But guess what? I remember when Boomi and I had to have those conversations of establishing our own family, our own traditions that were different and breaking from the Canales way. We weren't going to spend the night on New Year's Eve, uh, Christmas Eve and wake up on Christmas Day and watching movies all night anymore at the big Canales household where there were 25 to 30 people. We had to establish our own family tradition. And that was our, our, our own breaking and our own setting free. And we were like the first of the whole Canales third generation to have to do it. And we got dirty looks and, and we were talked about and we were persecuted. No, I'm kidding. But that was a part and it stung and it hurt, but it was real. And it was a big argument, but it was necessary. So parents, you, sometimes you got to let go of your daughter and let her figure stuff out with her husband. And not interfere. Now, if there's safety issues, then you need to get involved and help. But when working stuff out, you let them work it out. Boomi and I lived with Mama Mo for three years. And Boomi and I were working it out. 
And Mama Mo left us alone, except for one time we were out of hand. She said, that's enough. Y'all figure it out. You're embarrassing me and my neighbors, in front of my neighbors. Sorry, Mama Mo. Look, she's laughing. Like. But as parents, we do have a role to, to, tra to train our boys to be respectful, how to treat women, how to work hard, how to love Jesus, right? How to do things right, how to be on time, how to fix things, right? How to help around the house, right? In a, in a, in a day and age, in a culture where men and women both work and both are tired, it takes two, you know, salaries to, to pay the mortgage or rent, right? And there's different pressures. So the family dynamic has changed a little bit. So we have to use wisdom, godly wisdom. Amen, you guys? Godly wisdom to help us in that kind of training process, right? And, and raising, preparing, um, and training our boys to become young men and grown men who can be good husbands, loving husbands, respectful husbands. Amen? And the same goes for young ladies, for girls. They're raised and prepared and trained in the ways of the Lord and with godly principles and virtues as well, just as much as the men, the men do with the young boys, not having a double standard. Did I just step on some toes right now? Because I'm stepping on my own. I, I'm like, you know, I'm like, Man, Boomi and I have conversations. We're going to have to treat our daughter just the way we're treating our boys in some of those ways. Although you handle them differently, right? But boys need gentleness and love as well as firmness too, right? So there's all kinds of nature versus nurture stuff that happens in both boys and girls that they all need. And as much as a man leaves his father and his mother... The young women are given from their mothers and fathers, right? But it's almost like they're taken. They're taken and now entrusted into somebody else's hands. It's, it's why in a, in a wedding ceremony, at the very beginning, after the, the, the beautiful guest assembly, right? After the, the, the processional happens and... Dun, 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 right? All that. And then you say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Right? Who gives this woman to be married to this man? So there's a giving. And the man or the woman or whoever is giving the, the daughter or the girl away has got to trust and believe that the person that is sticking out their left arm is going to cherish and love and protect and not hurt their precious baby girl. Man. Aren't all of our thoughts going to that, that, that place right now? All of our thoughts are just like, wow, look how beautiful God made it, right? But then guess what? Don't you ever have that thought? Man, God, how does sin come into the world? And how does brokenness make its way in? 
And how do things get, good things get messed up? That's next chapter. Don't, don't spoil the goods right now. We want to stay in that good place, that good space. Because I want God to just soften your heart, soften our hearts, minister to you right now. What is God, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Where's God, who's God sending you to? Right? And so a man leaves, he cleaves, he comes together with the woman, the woman, the Isha. We have Ha-Adam, Adam from the earth, Ha-Adam Eretz, a man from, comes from the earth, and then we have Isha, or woman. And another word for man is Ish. So you have Ish and you have Isha, man and woman, right? So we have this, this beautiful thing that God does, and they become one flesh. And finally, verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked, and it wasn't a bad thing. Right? It's a beautiful thing. Should not be perverted. Right? But it has been. But the Lord has a way of redeeming all things. Making all things new. He makes us new. Makes you new. The Lord, through his spirit, guess what? He renews us. Amen? He regenerates us. When we, when we give our life to Jesus and we experience salvation, there's such thing as regeneration. And that means that spiritually the Lord regenerates a new man and a new woman by the blood of Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Hey, guess what? That should be encouraging to all of us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if any man is in Christ, all right, he is a new creation. The old is gone and all things what? Become new. And then it says, and they felt no shame. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And what it reminded me of, of is in verse 31 of chapter 1, where the Lord said, and it was good. It was good. It was all good. And then when, when remember when Adam was by himself, what did, what did God say? What did Yahweh Elohim say? What did the Lord God say? It's not good for man to be alone. Praise the Lord. Well, that's the good book. That's the good word for us today. Um, having a little fun with the one rib uh, metaphor. Okay. It's to be understood um, literally. Some may want to interpret it metaphorically. Uh, and that's okay too if they, if they choose to do that. All right. The most important is that Jesus is central to our faith. But my account of the creation account of man and woman is a literal account. Literal account of how God created man and how God made Eve from his side. That's what I believe. That's what I uh, stick to and I run to in the scriptures not, I do not want to um, venture off 
very far from the scriptures on this account. I, I tend to stick very, very closely to a literal interpretation to the creation account as it pertains to man and woman. I believe that man is his own kind, my own uh, belief is that we don't come from apes, but that we were created by God as our own species. That's what I believe. I believe in the creation account as it pertains to Adam and Eve as the humankind. That's what I believe. Um, I was even reading an article today of their theories and attempts at the bipedal evolution or the upright or erect man and the, the hundreds of millions of years of the evolution of um, creation or creatures. Um, but I don't, I don't buy into the account that uh, prehistoric man was Adam. That's just, that's not what I believe. I don't know what you believe. You may believe something different. Um, but I believe that God intended man to be the apple of his eye. God intended man to bring um, redemption to all of creation. And God loves us so and has demonstrated his love uh, in so many ways. And so um, I'm thankful for scripture. I'm thankful for the word of God where I can uh, hang my hat, where I can place my trust, my belief, and um, run to the cross when in doubt. When, when I have doubts, I run to the cross. I run straight to Jesus. Even when it comes to scripture, if there's any doubt that I have in any account and anything in the Bible, I run straight to Jesus. Run straight to Jesus. If you ever run into a, a trouble with anything in scripture, run, run back to Jesus. Run straight to Jesus. Um, and ask the Lord to help you with your faith, maybe your unbelief. And allow the scriptures to breathe new life and renewed meaning and freshness to your faith. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, for the power that it gives to us. Father, I thank you for the meaning that we, that we have derived, Lord Jesus, from this account, this ancient historical account, Lord God, of your creation of how you created Adam and Eve. Lord Jesus, it's mind-boggling. It's, uh, it's, Lord Jesus, sometimes uh, it's impossible to follow and comprehend everything that you've done. But Lord, um, you wouldn't be God if it weren't so. But because you are God, you are Jehovah Elohim. You are the Lord God. You're the, the creator of all things. You're the maker of everything. You are the cosmic engineer. Lord Jesus, you are the one who flung the Milky Way universe, our galaxy in its place. Lord Jesus, you are the one that have allowed us to be here on this planet. Just enough just far enough away from the sun that we wouldn't burn, and close enough to where we wouldn't freeze. That was your idea and your creation. So, Lord Jesus, 
I thank you for your word. May it illuminate our lives. May it bring meaning evermore, Lord Jesus, to our faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Hey, we'll see you next Wednesday night.